It's a big week. We've got plenty of bonus content for you. Today, David, we're going to talk about optimism, base, the super chain, all of these concepts. This is based on news from yesterday that Coinbase is releasing a layer two chain called base. That that chain is now in testnet. It's going to go to production, what, in the next couple of months, I say Soon weeks to end. months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, we yesterday, we, we spent some time with Jesse. We got the Coinbase reaction to this and the news. This time, who do we have on and what are we going to talk about, David? We are bringing on the three co-founders of Optimism, Carl, Jing, and Ben. And we got a lot of questions for them. Uh, we got the news yesterday, like you said, about uh, opt- uh, the Coinbase side of things, uh, why they want to build base. What does it mean for Coinbase to have their own layer two? But I think people still have a lot of questions for what this means on the optimism side of things. What does it mean to be building on the OP stack? Their, Coinbase isn't building based on optimism. They're building it on the OP stack. What are the differences between these two things? Uh, what is this super chain vision? Uh, where are we in this super chain vision? What does that mean for the world? And really, what are all the, all the other implications between this optimism Coinbase collaboration? Because uh, Jesse and Coinbase are now the second core development team of the OP stack. What are the implications of that? I think people are still learning how to wrap their heads around this, myself included. And so I've got a bunch of questions and we've got the Optimism team on the show today to go directly to the source. Yeah, I'm super excited for this episode. And uh, the triad of Optimism co-founders is always so enthusiastic. And so I um, love, love catching uh, so them the day optimistic, after the news. if you will. Yes, <laughs> so optimistic. <laughs> I should have used that word. And uh, disclosure before we get in, David and I do disclosures at the beginning of every Bankless episode whenever they're necessary. David and I are advisors in the Optimism Project. We believe wholeheartedly in the Layer 2 vision. Uh, we also own some ETH. Uh, I, I think that covers it. Bankless.com slash disclosures for all of that info. Guys, we're going to get right to the episode with the Optimism founders. But before we do... We want to take a moment to tell you about these tools to help you go bankless, including... We are back with the three co-founders of Optimism. We got Carl, the CTO at OP Labs, the internal optimist, Jing, the executive director of the Optimism Foundation, and Ben, the chief scientist also of the Optimism Foundation. Guys, uh, welcome. Yo! <laughs> I, I, I always love interviewing you guys because you guys are always in the same spot. Uh, and so we also have the anti-glare technology in the background as well. So thank you for setting that up for the optimized uh, live stream. Anti-glare technology? Oh my <laughs> <Yeah>. God. <laughs> so first off, you guys, just okay, absolutely huge congrats on the news. This is some of the biggest news that I think has dropped in a very long time. And also some of the first very big positive news that's dropped in a long time. So thank you for shifting the meta (laughs) into something more optimistic than what we've seen in in 2022. So uh, I I just want just to reflect on this news. Um, How does how does this feel? Like what sentiment like over at Optimism? Pretty fucking cool. It's um, (laughs) unifying. it's the thing about announcements though is that uh it's about all the work yet to be done so there's a sentiment of like focus um and motivation on the enormous pile of work we have ahead of us mm-hmm. well it's pretty hype feeling it's pretty optimistic <laughs> <laughs> you stole the optimistic joke in the in the in the intro so we no, so it never gets old. It was too easy. It's too easy. Yeah. So, so guys, where should we really start on this conversation? Because there's so many different ways that we could take this. Like Coinbase building a layer two, Coinbase building on the OP stack, the the super chain. There's a bunch of really big things to talk about, and we're definitely going to talk about all of them. But I just want to throw this one to you guys. Where should we start? Like in your guys' opinions, what's the biggest deal about this whole bit of news to you guys? To optimism. Couple goods. Um, Coinbase is contributing back to public goods funding um, and public goods experimentation. We think this is really important because, I mean, the three of us have been working together for six years on scaling Ethereum from various different angles. Um, We started off as grant funded, then as a nonprofit. Well, I guess that's also grant funded. And so public goods has been a super core theme to everything that we're doing. And I think until now, it hasn't been super clear externally how public goods plays into the winning strategy. It's seemed like a feel charity, good. feel good, yeah. fuzzy wuzzy type thing, but it's genuinely not. 
it's all about the neutrality of the core tech. In order for something to be truly decentralized, um, you can't just have the technical architecture be decentralized. DNS is architecturally decentralized, but the US owns 11 out of 13 root zones. And like, anyway, sorry, not to go on that tangent, but sources of funding, the execution of work, the governance of it also all have to be decentralized in order for the architecture to, you know, uphold its decentralizedness. So so That's going to the details between the mechanism that uh, is, is taking Coinbase to contributing to public goods, like what what is that bridge? How is that happening? Yeah, so in general, there's um, two big ways. One is a commitment to um, a percentage of the base um, revenues back to the collective, to the collective treasury. Um, so the, ba- the, the base transaction part. fees, like the gas fees of base. That's right. The other, the other piece of this is that Coinbase is joining OP Labs as the second core contributor to the OP stack, which is huge. I mean, that's what it's all about is having multiple teams working towards the same standards and the same end states. Yeah. So that's, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Obviously just like exposure, you know, to the masses and people understanding what an L2 is will definitely go up as a result of this, but those are the two big direct ones. So for the non-technical minded, what does it mean to have a second core contributor to uh, like a repository? Like, is, is that the perhaps the right word? What does it mean to have somebody else who's not Optimism being a core contributor to this t- uh, stack of technologies? Why why is that such a big deal for people who don't understand these uh, the significance of this? All right. Well, <laughs> really, Ethereum pioneered this whole concept of having many different core contributors and many different client implementations. The thing, there are two things that are really important about this. The first one is that we're building an open protocol. That means that it can't have a bus factor where if one team were to stop working on the protocol, the whole thing just stagnates. You need to make sure that this is something that is open, decentralized, and being contributed to by a community. That is the first thing. And that's what like, you know, a lot, if you don't re- rely on a fundamentally decentralized contributor base, then you can't really call yourself truly decentralized. Long haul, baby. Long haul, exactly. And so we have to start building up that process in layer two if layer two is going to be decentralized. Anyway, the next thing is security. It is absolutely critical to have multiple parallel implementations of the protocol in order to ensure that when there is a failure, a bug in one implementation, it does not take down the entire network. This is kind of security through redundancy of the client software. And so we're getting both of those things. And, you know, it's just the beginning. It's not just going to be, you know, Coinbase. It's going to be a bunch of other contributors as time goes on. But it is really exciting that we're getting, like, started on this soon. Because this is one of the least talked about yet most important components to actually decentralizing a Layer 2 protocol. And let's talk about Layer 2 in relationship to Ethereum. Because uh, with the the roll-up centric roadmap of Ethereum that, that we're now on, Basically, layer twos become kind of the, the future. Yeah, I mean, they're the future execution layer of of Ethereum, right? So it's very important that this future execution layer is funded, uh, is completely open source, is as credibly neutral as possible, and has multiple client teams and is continuously building. I was pretty blown away that um, Jesse said there were like over 120 Coinbase employees that have been working on this project in, in one way or another, like that's absolutely, absolutely massive. And I think I had forgotten, like, um, <laughs> that's or, I know. And, and, and so I, one thing I think, I think I'd forgotten as well, which Jesse reminded me of, uh, Coinbase has actually been active in, uh, EIP, um, uh, four, eight, four, four. Thanks, David. Why do I always forget four, eight, four, four, which is like say EIP five, one, five. I know. I know. Oh, now I can't remember that. You only got two numbers in there. Come on. There's only two we need to remember. Um, yeah. So, uh, they, they've already been developing for public goods. And this was what was so exciting to me about this. One thing I'd add, and I'd get kind of your response on this is, um, to me, it's not just public good goods. It's, um, the way, Coinbase went through the selection process, it, it feels like, and they ended up selecting a credibly neutral technology that would not give Coinbase more power in, in the network, right? 
It's very, very different than sort of a side chain where you kind of own the validator set. They like um, purposely, I think, uh, made it such that they are not in the driver's seat, that they're developing incredibly neutral technology. And to me, that was so because it's always been, you know, part of part of bankless um, is this idea, of course, of like the corruption of the banks. Centralized banks can can bring uh, corruption. And we'd always wondered, where will some of the crypto banks, the crypto exchanges fall in the spectrum? Will they turn evil? Will they go a little bit JP Morgan? Uh, or will they embrace crypto values with us? And so th that's why um, this made me particularly optimistic that Coinbase decided to not only embrace public goods, but em embrace credible neutrality and develop along with us. Anyway, that's why people have asked, like, why is this such a big deal? I'm like, that's why it's a freaking big deal. Like, we, we, <laughs> we have a Coinbase level of resources on our side. And they chose to go with public goods and credible neutrality. Uh, that was a statement more than a question. But do you guys have any reflections on this? Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't pattern match to the other flavors of Fortune 500 blockchains. This is a pretty Web3 native move. Um, I think that says a lot about what Coinbase's intentions are. Um, I don't think this is some like, you know, side science project they are contributing real resources in a bear market when resources are tight to pushing forward decentralization and core contributions means they're committing engineering firepower to writing code for fault provers multi-clients um it's crazy yeah i'll i'll build on that 100 agree i'll build on that a little bit david to say which it's also, I think, just as awesome to be continuing to use this as a shared standard. So you can you can totally see a world in like a you know a Fortune 500 environment, especially where they see the OP stack as a public good, and they're saying, okay, this can form the basis for a technology because it's you know just the best way to build a rollup. But it doesn't mean that they're that they have to also not just take that code and run with it in their own direction and custom fit it to their needs. So they get that it's not just about base; it's about the other chains that are going to end up interoperating with them, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that more later on, but, th but it's also just as important to be building on the same standard as other rollups. So that's what we're very mm -hmm. excited about. Yeah, precisely. Okay. So I, I think I'm starting to, to wrap my, my head around this. Uh, and so maybe the, to answer, to ask a question, so like, why did Coinbase choose uh, the optimism technology instead of like the Arbitrum or Polygon technology? And I think the answer is what, what you guys are saying is that like, the Optimism OP stack is this MIT open source uh, uh, technology stack of software that allows Coinbase to not create its own, like Jesse used this term, Coinbase wants to build bridges, not islands. So like they could have made their own client for their own layer two and run off in their own direction and built base with their own technology stack. But that's not really what they're interested in. They're interested in joining ranks with other groups to be yeah. co-contributors to the same technology stack. And then the idea is that that, th that becomes a third group of people or a fourth group of people. So it's not just OP Labs and Coinbase. It's OP Labs, Coinbase, right. uh, third, fourth, fifth. And so they, and, they wanted to pick a technology where they could work together. And it's even stronger than that. Because the OP stack is a public good, like part of the reasons for choosing um, the OP stack is certainly it's licensing and being a public good. It's also just a darn good code base. But because it's a public good, you can take that darn good code base and run with it in whatever direction you want. But the problem with doing that is if everybody does that, we're going to have a lot of L2s, a lot of fractioning. There's going to be a lot of issues. So building towards the same shared standard, like not a fork of even the public good, super, super important. Help people understand this too. So um, is base a competitor? to the existing optimism EVM chain that's out there in the market? Like, are you guys like shooting yourselves in the foot? Is base going to come cannibalize the existing op uh, optimistic rollup? Like the, the, the one that you, you, you have out there right now. Uh, I've heard that that question on Twitter. And what would you guys say to that? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely from our perspective, the naive, but clear take that, you know, that immediately comes to mind when you talk about this. We think it misses a few key things. Obviously, one of them is that positive sum outcomes are critical in this game. And the reality is that 
yes, while there are going to be some change that it maybe have numbers and you can probably construct a narrative that this is a race and compare the two numbers between these chains, right? The reality is that that ignores the fact that the entire pie is getting bigger when more people do this. And quite frankly, the truth of the matter is while we have saved our users something like 2.7, I think it was 2.69 when we wrote our, our article, yeah. billion dollars in fees, there is the reality is that including ourselves, nobody has scaled Ethereum yet because one chain is not gonna cut it if we're gonna take this to global scale. So the reality is it's inevitable and it's a short-sighted view in our opinion to be looking at you know some like exciting crypto Twitter fueling feud, you know, mm -hmm. poll making you know, angle on this because it's so much more. I I also think that the way people think right now is a little too chain oriented. The reality is that right now when we access the internet, we don't give a fuck what ISP we're accessing it through or what hardware or whatever. And um, chains have been like the sexy thing for people to invest in and talk about. Somehow protocol research is like a really hot thing, you know? So we talk about chains a lot, but the reality is that it shouldn't matter where you're deployed. And so far, the applications that have been built in crypto have also been very chain oriented because that's where the funding has been. That's where the go to market strategies have been centered around. What we're trying to get to collaboratively with Coinbase is the super chain interconnectedness, which users interact with similar to the way that they interact with the internet. It doesn't matter what ISP provider you're on. It doesn't, you don't, it doesn't matter what state space your application is deployed to. Um, applications that require atomic composability have it, and you're just accessing the application. You don't have to think about what's happening. There is an awkward transition phase between where we are now, the chaininess, and then where we're headed, the chain agnosticness. And so in that period of time, um, there are things that could be perceived as competition. There are choices that applications may have to make before they're re-architected and before a lot of this composability tooling exists. Should I deploy on Optimism mainnet or base or some other EVM chain, should I deploy everywhere? And ultimately it's um, gonna be different for every single application. A lot of applications should probably start deploying their own chains. Let us know, we've got a super chain intake form on our website. <laughs> <laughs> Optimism IO slash super chain. <laughs> wait, wait, give, give that URL again. Optimism.io slash super chain. Optimism.io slash jobs. Two links in one. Do, do, uh, you only get a third link to shill in every bankless episode. So uh, use, use that third one wisely. Um, okay, so slash super chain. Do people have to like apply to be a super chain or can they just be a super chain? Like there's no permission required, right? I could just fork the code. No, there'll be no permission want. required. There will be no permission required. To Jake's point, obviously, like this is a rollout a stage process, and so right now it makes you sense help. for folks to get in touch with us and yeah. start coordinating together, right? Which, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is super important. Okay, so no, I want to. I want to go back to this Jing, Jing's idea because um, I think we're going to talk about the the super chain. Obviously, that that was a tease in the in the title here, but but um, Jing's idea that we are in this weird, awkward, like puberty phase of uh, crypto where there's too much chaininess going on. And I, I want to- People have been maybe, that for years. <laughs> like we're yeah. still, yeah, we're in this weird, awkward phase. So, okay. So I think maybe there's two reasons for this. Here's an idea for you. And I was thinking about this while you're talking. One is kind of a technical reason why we have these chain borders, right? And, and that is because when you're on one chain, it's hard to get to another chain and your security assumptions change. It's very much like, you know, like I go from the U.S. to Canada and I have to, you know, do my power. It feels like a different country, right? Even though maybe it's culturally similar, uh, whatever. So there's that. There's kind of the technical and security type border. Uh, the other reason is because we have tokens for all of these chains. And and I think that, that uh, kind of breeds some tribalness sometimes. It's just like, well, my token's better than your token. And like, look at this. We can compare, you know, how fast the tokens are growing and price. And oh, you, you know, like also... the red token. I like the blue token. Yeah, or, no, I just... like I like the purple token. Yeah, it's very like you know, star-bellied snitches of us. Like we're just kind of like we like to separate into tribes based on a, a team color or you know something like this. Uh, what was really neat about the base token or the base chain as well? There's no token. <laughs> there's no token. Like they're using ETH. Imagine that. 
Uh, so that's very cool. Anyway, I want to test those those assumptions, uh, Jing. It's like, so is that why we're chaining this? It's because all the chains have tokens, and so we organize in, in uh, token-based tribes, and also because there's technical limitations right now in that it really does feel like there is a, a border. It's hard to go from one chain to another. Is that why we're in this current state? Yeah, I think all of those are um, like components of the fracture of mindshare liquidity energy in the ecosystem at large. And the existence of a token kind of ossifies that fracture and um, makes the time to like converge on a single standard take longer because there's financial incentives not to. Especially if that token is required to run the chain, like most of the L1s out there. Yeah, I think the core thing with the like composability and the atomicity is um, message passing between different state spaces. So like, you know, chain B receives data from chain A and there's a process by which that the validity of that data is verified. Like that whole thing, that whole standard, we need to coalesce on a single one of those things. And that's what the super chain is, is all coalescing on a single message passing standard and a bridge standard in order to enable the type of UX between chains that imitates the UX of being in a single state space. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I want to hear Carl Rand. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that like, yeah, there is, there are technological limitations that have resulted in this fracturing. And the solutions to the fracturing oftentimes actually introduce new technology, which then further fractures the developer base. The thing it's like, oh, build on this new language, build on this new, you know, like all this kind of fracturing on fracturing on fracturing. Yeah, exactly. It's going crazy. And so I'm just going to I mean, I started out with my multi-client, my standards rant, but I just want to like double click and just say like, This is so important from a community building perspective, not only the technology becoming standardized, but the process by which we come to what the technology is, as in the standards bodies, the people, contributors building together, working together on this. That is another key critical element to ensure that we do not result in crazy developer fragmentation. Like it is so nice that all the browsers can load up the same websites and display the same things. That was not a given for many, many years, right? Until people realized, hey, why are we building out incompatible features for our browser software? Let's work together. So that is like what we're going to start to see in the Ethereum space for the OP stack. And this is, it's really exciting to see the snowball like just beginning to to grow. And this is really the long-term arc, at least for what I see, of the optimism project and the optimism like philosophy is that like every time that we have you guys on, you guys have made one more innovation further down the stack that keeps ever all the developers cohered into the same tech stack. And so like this whole idea of like EVM equivalence and making sure that optimism is equivalent to Ethereum means that we can imbue Ethereum's technology into the optimism technology. And now with this OP stack, it's just every time we talk to you guys, it's just the technology is one step further along and making sure that all the developers are on the same page and we're reusing and recycling all of the the developer technologies and tooling that need to be uh, leveraged in order to build a coherent ecosystem. Yes. And I will even build on that a tiny bit because not only are we trying to push forward the actual technology and the actual, you know, things, EVM equivalents, whatever the, you know, OP stack. What we're also trying to do is build an incentive system, right? That enables people to continuously contribute in perpetuity without having a centralized dictator governing body that's like giving out money or some corporate, you know, control, right? So this is actually, I want to like, I wish if I could, I would love to like give a click moment for like literally everyone, which is just like, let's (laughs) retroactive public goods funding, which we've talked about on other things. You can go look it up. Retroactive public goods funding, a funding source for public goods 
that is absolutely the like, you know, complement the puzzle piece that enables the OP stack to grow and be great. In other words, what we're doing is we're not only building out the open source protocols and technologies that will become the standards for how we use blockchains, how we use the internet generally. Well, we're also building out the funding source that funds that development. And guess what else? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't stop. But base and optimism mainnet all of and and all the further chains within the super chain the the cycle is those the usage of those platforms go back into retroactive public goods funding which then goes back and funds the development of the op stack making it better and better right like this is going to be a crazy decentralized standards development like no one's gonna own it and it's still gonna happen anyway it's it's it'll be a very wild ride yeah see this is the bankless listeners can uh tell why i call carl the internal optimist uh and so just to really to <laughs> drive this point home we've got the op stack technology which is designed to be an equivalent extension of the ethereum technology stack to allow for all of these same shared standards and uh just like tech stack to be expanded and scaled across many organizations uh, which is the story of base and coinbase building on the op stack and also the retroactive public goods funding and the OP collective is also a uh, economy, a system of recirculating funds to support and further development in a way that doesn't need a central coordinator of those funds. So, so that's always been exactly. the, the optimism vision and the fact that we are now and having a second huge core contributor to uh, the OP stack is a huge vote of confidence in that vision. And having that, and having that mechanism that Carl was just talking about, just to tie exactly what Carl said back to what we were talking about before, that is what prevents the fragmentation and the fracturing because mm -hmm. you're totally right, Ryan. So often fracturing occurs from people trying to get a business model behind something that fundamentally that they're doing is just building a public good that's some software, right? So having that funding mechanism is, is how you keep this thing cohesive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also why it's so important that some percentage of the base transaction fees goes to the OP collective. That's like to add energy into that flywheel. Guys, okay. So uh, we've been talking about the super chain. Uh, we also want to talk about fraud proofs as well. Like we want to hear about the optimism fraud proofs trajectory, but also we've been teasing the super chain and I want to dive into that. What is that vision? Because uh, it's very, very sci-fi uh, and I kind of want to understand it a little bit more. So we're going to talk about those two main subjects uh, as soon as we get back from some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, Bankless Nation, we are back with the Optimism team. And now we're going to dive into the super chain because what the hell is a super chain? Uh, so there's a, Ryan is showing uh, the link that you guys talked about earlier, uh, optimism.io slash super chain. Is that, is that where we go? You got to click super chain up at the top. Super chain. Boom. Okay. Look at this. <laughs> I'm here. I'm okay. in the super chain. So now I know what a blockchain is. I know what a layer two chain is. What is a super chain? It's a chain that's super. What's a super chain, Carl? All right. A super chain is a network of chains which share security, decentralization, all built on a standard technology stack, the OP stack. And the key insight of this is that by creating a shared set of chains that all conform to the same properties, what you do is you make it so that each one of these chains can work together, interoperate, and you can use them as interchangeable resources. So today we think, oh, what chain am I going to deploy to? I need to look at all the custom features. I need to understand the custom trade-offs that I'm making. And then I deploy my app. Well, what if there was a network of chains where you could have the exact same uh, security features across all of them? Well, now I don't need to learn about every one of these chains that I'm deploying to. I literally write my application and boom, deploy all to all the chains. What this enables is not only developers to kind of abstract away the underlying chains, it allows users and wallets to also do the same. So you get the crypto experience that we really need, which is super scalable, low fees, and you don't have to worry about what network on you're on. You're just secure, happy, and getting your application on. Okay. But so it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yet. <laughs> it doesn't okay. exist. Okay. Okay. Let, let's fast forward to a future state that, that is something more incremental that, that we can imagine, right? So now, now we have this base thing. And then we also have the um, optimism chain over here. So we have two chains. 
And let's assume that they are in the super chain right now. Okay. And so I'm a user. I got MetaMask open. Uh, what chain do I set it to? It do, is it just like a, a, a box that says super the chain? super one. I, so I, I set my settings in MetaMask for super chain. And then um, let's say I want to do something with the version of Uniswap on base. And then also, like, can I, does, would that Uniswap tie into liquidity over on the Optimism chain? Like, how does this work? See, this, the super chain is such a yeah. new, new model. And this is to Jing, your point earlier, we're, we're so used to, even as users, of like the chaininess of the feeling. Oh, if I want to go from this place to this place, I have to like change my mm-hmm. settings, change my, you know, RPC connection, and then I move to another chain. How does this work in the super chain as, as a user? Yeah, this is like the puberty phase that we were talking about and also like speaks to the enormity of the work. It's not just about a single application or wallets, like block explorers. Like what the fuck are we going to do with block explorers? There's just so many different mindset and paradigm shifts that need to happen. Um, It's a collaboration. And so we're, we're talking to a number of other applications that are also deploying their own OP chains. Um, similar to base. And so it's something we're actively figuring out right now. How are messages passed? What does the user experience look like? Yeah. 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 I was just going to say one really easy mental model that is not here yet, but that we are working towards is you can kind of think of chains as like powerful smart contracts. And so imagine your question about Uniswap, you know, imagine you had two liquidity pools, two smart contracts with the same token pair, right? But they're both different liquidity pools for some reason. Now you can have the Uniswap front end find you the best price across both of these. And, you know, maybe it trades Mm -hmm. on one, then it migrates to the other and buys on the other. That kind of thing becomes possible. Um, so we're trying to make it so that there is an API, a easy to deploy interface where you can spin up a new chain very, very seamlessly. Yeah. But Carl, so, yeah, I mean- uh, there's a Uniswap on Optimism. There's a Uniswap on Polygon. There's the Uniswap on Arbitrum. And there's also cross chain like aggregators of these things, which are doing a similar mm-hmm. job to what you just said. But I'm guessing if it's two chains on the OP stack and with that shared standard, that job of a cross-chain DEX aggregator just becomes a lot easier and fluid and fast? Yes, it becomes so much easier. And also, I think that the key unlock that's really going to take it to the next level is the problem with all of these bespoke chains that have all these different standards is that as a application developer uh, or, or like an aggregation developer, I need to write a custom converter for each one of these chains, which mm-hmm. does not scale. If all of these chains are using the exact same standard, then I literally, there could be a thousand of these chains. There could be a million. There could be a million. A billion. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Um, There could be tons of these chains and I can immediately aggregate across all of them. So it's really, Mm -hmm. it's really night and day. Like it, it, that kind of shift in developer productivity fundamentally changes what is possible because before you're investing months in implementing something that becomes minutes. Yeah. Okay, so like I, I, the idea with that is like uh, if, a, if you have this like cross-chain Uniswap aggregator and a new version of a do, new layer two crops up, you have to manually uh, make that chain supported by your deck, your aggregation software. If it's on the OP stack, it's like automatic. Like there are so many things that are natively supported out of the box by in nature of the fact that it was built using the OP stack in the first place. That's the idea? Yeah. Totally. And look, to Jing's point, Jing is very right to bring the caveat. This will take a collective. This is the mission of the Optimism Collective is summoning the super chain, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? Right. But what we're talking about here is a very logical, I think, comparison to exactly what we saw in the internet, you know? I think probably, and if you were in the early days of the internet, right, in like the late 80s, you know, you're like, what do you mean I don't have to like enter the IP address of the university that I'm going to connect to next? It's just going to disappear, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to, the IP is going to be the same for all of them, right? And, <laughs> and and obviously that UX like improved slowly over time, right? And it, and it took many years. And now everybody has, an, you know, probably 10 IP addresses and, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, it's going to take a while for us to get here. It's the point of building together, but it won't happen without a shared standard. And it certainly won't happen if we just keep fragmenting these things as opposed to coming together. 
I, I wonder if you could uh, reinforce this piece about kind of the, the super chain idea, right? And what, what you're trying to summon, what you're, what you're manifesting into reality here. And this is concept of security. Um, so I will say the whole internet of chains model sounds really cool, but it scares the, the cosmos out model. of me. The yeah. atom model, right? The atom model. It, because mm. if we have all sorts of chains with independent validator sets and independent security assumptions, and then we have bridges trying to tie them all together with their own set of security assumptions, right? How many bridge hacks did we see last year? I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. North Korea ended Brilliant. up with this money, probably. Yes. And, and, and so like that scares the crap out of me about sort of the the whole idea of all sorts of internet of chains that have different security assumptions. Now with the super chain, my understanding is you have the same underlying Ethereum level fraud proof security assumptions as every other chain inside of the super chain network. That's why you're calling it a super chain. It's because it's one big like fluffy blanket of shared security wrapping its arms around all of these chains and ecosystems inside of the super chain, right? Um, can you reflect on that? Or, the power or, of L2. That? Yeah, because I, I think sometimes in crypto, like we just, um, we forget about the long tail of the security risks here until it just like hits us in the face. And there's, you know, a you know, massive hack that happens. Can you guys talk about this security aspect to the super chain? I think honestly, that's probably uh, that's a very good call out, um, Ryan, because I think it's something that we take for granted because for six years now, we've been working on layer two scaling. Yeah. And what is the entire point of layer two scaling? It's to inherit right. the security of the layer one and make a layer two that gives you more scalability, but keeps the same security model, right? Or at least as close as you can get. And yeah, so I guess we kind of take that for granted, but that's a very important thing to say. Yes, it's absolutely the case that all the super chain ultimately is all secured into Ethereum, and this is how you can get a shared security standard. So that's super, super important, for sure. And it comes from the nature of layer two technologies, which can inherit that credible neutrality of Ethereum um, in a way that scales. And by the way, I want to also say that the... Uh, this point is not just about like, oh, I'm like super security conscious. Like, ah, I don't want to use an asset that's bridged over. Yeah. No, the thing is that the compounding risk of having multiple chains and I bridge to this chain, then this chain, then this chain, and any one of these chains can fail that weakest link security. That actually limits the total number of chains that you can possibly have. Because the more change you introduce to the system, the more existential risk you introduce to the system. So in order to ensure that we're able to actually horizontally scale the super chain and scale the number of chains in the network, you need to have homogenous security across all of them so that the core assets are always secured. And that actually, in, in a weird way, that security enables scalability. I, I'm a, a quote from Elon Musk comes to mind, which is that all user inputs are an error. And I feel like applying this, that like philosophy here is like all bridges are a patchwork of incomplete technology. Like if you have to bridge, like it's the technology isn't done yet then. Cause like the idea is to get rid of all bridges, right? Br bridges are hacks. Bridgeless. Bridgeless. <laughs> Bridgeless. Oh my podcast. God. Really good. You, if you have a layer to... Uh, podcast spinoff, it should be absolutely called Bridgeless. Bridgeless.eve. <laughs> Quick, go buy it now, dude. Quick. Uh, I want to um, ask um, a question that maybe Carl kind of alluded to uh, earlier about this, this idea of standards. And so my understanding of, of the super chain is, of course, Optimism has its version of a super chain with all of the, the chains that use the OP stack, that kind of thing. And that's great. So we got the security blanket over this. We also have other layer two to ecosystems, you know, uh, the Matter Lab, ZK Sync, the Polygon, the Scroll, the Arbitrum, all of these other layer two ecosystems, are they going to have their sep a separate like super chain? And how do we run? It? Um, how do we make sure we don't fall into the uh, XKCD scenario of like, look, we, you know, situation it says there are fourteen competing standards, and then somebody says fourteen, ridiculous. We need to develop one universal standard that covers everyone's use cases. Yeah, soon situation. Now there are 15 competing standards. How do we avoid that problem of having 
just a whole bunch of super chains that aren't interoperable with with one another. Is there some way to do that? You know, if if all of these layer twos are settling on Ethereum, is there some hope here? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, we are creating a new standard and there are other standards out there. Um, I guess we believe our standard is a better standard because <laughs> we're not- Because it's Ethereum, baby. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to create um, coercive lock-in. We're not trying to create like a fundamentally new way to develop smart contracts and that new thing you have to learn. We're not trying to create a closed ecosystem where once you're onboarded, it's very hard to leave. What we're trying to do is create an ecosystem that's as easy to onboard to as possible and to create non-coercive lock-in by providing value at the application layer. So if the platform is super easy to develop on and the tools are easy to use and open source and easy to build, then we believe that that will make it easier for applications to build. And so we're trying to create lock-in non-coercively at the application layer by providing real value to users. Yeah, 100%. Let me give you guys a few examples of where this shows up in practice. Early example was our EVM equivalence upgrade, right? In the early days of what we were building, we absolutely had introduced a new standard. We called it the OVM. There was the OVM compiler, the OVM bytecode specific, right? All these things. At the end of the day, what it meant was that application developers had to go and do something different to deploy onto Optimism mainnet, right? EVM equivalence was a huge milestone for us that completely removed that. We we just said, okay, look, we are doing the XKCD thing right now. We can't do that. We must comply with the Ethereum standards. So we went EVM equivalent one and a half, two years ago now. The Another great example of this is the big release of the OP stack um, that is upon us called Bedrock. Um, shout out David for having the dot .bedrock. Put dot .bedrock in your <laughs> Twitter, yo. Um, <laughs> one of the incredible things that we use in Bedrock is something called the Engine API. Have you guys heard of that? Mm, no, I have, yeah. Tell us I more. just still don't know what oh. <laughs> it is. It's a fancy name for the Merge API. Hmm. So think about this. Here's something that's really incredible to think about. A layer one, uh, when you're building a layer two, the layer one is kind of like the source of truth because it's where the security comes from. And you sort of look at the layer one and the batches submitted by the sequencer and these sorts of things to figure out the state of your layer two, right? That is the exact same relationship between the beacon chain and the old like geth, like execution client, the consensus layer and the execution layer in the merge. So what's fascinating is that every L2 pretty much out there has to choose some way to implement basically what the merge, what the engine API does and what they did with the consensus layer and the whole pandas, you know, doing their thing. The OP stack uses that exact same API with like a few lines modified precisely for the reason that we can't be going about and creating a new standard. So every standard that we see, we're using. There are, to, you know, to Jing's point, there are going to be some new standards that are going to be, have to be created because Ethereum wasn't built with a multi-chain standard in mind. Um, and certainly we're going to have to do that very carefully and in a com- you know, community-driven, collaborative way. Um, so it's, it's absolutely a concern. We think that the way to solve it is to always go with Ethereum when you can and be very careful when you are absolutely sure you can. What's up, Carl? And I just wanted to say that you noticed that we said the word we a bunch of times. Now, I want to remind people, because this is a very hard habit to break out of, but it is, remember that when we say we, we are talking about us, as in everyone, (laughs) like all of these people. This is a decentralized project. These are public goods that we are creating. This is open source software. The software that is produced by, you know, my hands and other people's hands who don't work nearly close with me. Those things are public goods that are now available to the public, aka everyone. And so the way to, you know, make sure that the fracturing doesn't occur and we don't have a bajillion different standards is not by having some people sitting in their ivory tower giving, you know, down the, the laying down the law of how the tech should be built. But instead, it's about building consensus in the community that we are all a part of and building out those standards in a joint 
together fashion. And this is going to be more and more important as time goes on, as the project grows, as more core contributors come back. And I'm back to the multi-clients. Um, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I well, think, yeah, I this is... That, go ahead, Jing. I think that this uh, also speaks to the 4844 work that we've been leading. Um, we wanted to create something that benefited all roll-ups, including our competitors, not just us, because it's generally important that the ecosystem moves forward. Um, I think that in creating the standard and creating the super chain, it would be really sick to have other ecosystems, zero knowledge or fault provers running in the super chain. Um, we're not we're not trying to only run the code that's outputted by the existing core team. We're genuinely trying to coalesce around a single standard. And um, hopefully the work on 4844 speaks to the cooperativeness that we operate with. And it's not just in 4844, but more generally, we're very interested in collaborating with other ecosystems. Oh, that's re that's really great to hear, uh, guys. Um, you, you've kind of taken us uh, all, all through this, and I think people we we started talking about base and and the value of that and it public goods, incredible neutrality, and and preserving these crypto values, and that's fantastic. We talked about the super chain and how that allows us basically to uh, scale Ethereum. Um, one last kind of question on my mind, I think maybe in the minds of of some of the listeners, I I certainly saw some of this conversation on Twitter, which was. Uh, about the ability of base to decentralize. So when we talked to Jesse yesterday, um, you know, base is not going to launch fully decentralized. Like Coinbase will be the sole uh, sequencer. My understanding is it won't launch with um, fraud, fraud proofs either. Um, can you talk about this? How long will it take a base, so a new chain in the super chain ecosystem, to become fully decentralized? And what is what is Optimism's path? on that as well with respect to things like like fraud proofs and anything else you think it will um, require to get to this state of full decentralization. Oh man, if only OP Labs had recently posted under the authorship of Carl Flersch a decentralization update just yesterday. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> I guess that was my cue. Okay. Um decentralization is literally the point. That is like all that we have been talking about. Now, the reality is that software takes an enormous amount of time to get right. And especially software like false proofs, by the way. False proofs, which there's no there's no fallback entity. Because if there's a fallback entity for your false proofs- That's a bank. Yeah, that's a big, yeah, like there's no, there's, you're not actually using fault proofs, right? You're not actually getting the benefits from fault proofs. So in order for fault proofs to work, we need to have multiple clients. It's not this kind of, uh, uh, it's the thing that I was talking about in the beginning, which I, for some reason, have been going back to over and over in this podcast, um, is that in order to ha make sure that the clients will never fail the way that Ethereum does it and the way that we are following in Ethereum's footsteps, is that we have multiple implementations of the fault proof all running in parallel and ensure that if any one of those go wrong, we are able to continue the system. Now, building one fault proof is really hard and we've like, you know, gotten quite far in Canon and you can take a look and contribute, but building multiple fault proofs is even harder. But in order to ensure that we have safe, secure execution that is decentralized, we need it. So that's the fault proof kind of side. There's another side to decentralization that we haven't talked about very much that was in the blog post. And that is the decentralization of the upgrade keys and the decentralization of the bridge. We are working to make a, you know, security council style upgrade system, which is still, you know, in progress, but that is another key component where we need to make sure that not only are there fault proofs, but the people who are upgrading and do, you know, managing the software, those people are community members from everywhere. So anyway, we're firing on all cylinders. It's it's coming. Yeah. And like, you know, brass tax wise, we just have an announcement yesterday that there are some of the best, you know, engineers oh, yeah. at one of the <laughs> largest companies in the world contributing to the same shared standard yeah, for all of this that cool. are very, very interested in that. The yeah. other thing that I'll say, and honestly, this is a shout out. I don't know how the heck we have not made this. 
but the bedrock release of the OP stack is coming. The mainnet upgrade vote is having is like there was a big, huge unlock moment that we got to earlier this year, which was yeah. basically competing the bed completing the bedrock release. Because yeah. I'll be honest with you, Ryan, previous versions of that code base were not up to the par of utilizing existing standards that we were willing to go out. Like Public goods funding, we're finally doing our second round of retro PGF. Shout outs to um, David for being a badge holder in that. To For us to get to that point, honestly, required that we go sit down from first principles and say, okay, what is the most neutral? What is the most code minimized? What is the most existing standards leveraging way to write a rollup? And that and a chain more generally. And that is what the bedrock release has been. So that is a huge unlocker that we've been really pushing on as a priority to unlock the rest of the multi-client and all this stuff. Now it is time to really focus our attention on these. Was it you guys, did you guys write the, uh, the blog post with the analogy of it's just like uh, centralization is like the ring of power. And at some point, every roller yes. has to, you know, throw it yes. in the fire. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. So, so where are we on the quest to throw the ring into to Mount Doom? Are, we're, we're outside of the Shire now, right? Are we like yeah, Gondor? Movie one, are we, movie two. Are, are we approaching the Black Gates? Are we near Mordor? Where, where are think, we in this? I think, yeah. I think Gondor. I think Gondor. Okay, is Gondor. Good. All right. So movie you three, know, David. We've got like all of the dominoes are right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, it's pretty sick. Yeah. We just called, I mean, the answer yesterday, it's kind of like we just called in the Rohirrim um, and I was back. Up, yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I just needed this. Ooh. That's yeah. <laughs> Final question, and that's how we can close, David. Guys, it's been a lot of fun having you. Congrats on the success huge, with this massive release. Uh, this is uh, super huge for uh, all of crypto, for the ecosystem. Super for huge, super teams. chain. Yeah, super <laughs> chain. That's right. Now, you have one last link to shill. Please choose wisely. We talked about super chain link, the jobs link. Give us another link before we close out here. What's the OP stack link? Stack.optimism.io. Got to mm. do it. Got to do it. it. While there we have is. a major second um, core developer, you know, joining the ranks of OP Labs, this is going to be done as, as a very large effort by a very large number of people. And we finally have some of the initial docs in place to really show you how to do the crazy stuff with the OP stack that is going to blow people's minds that we always can't focus our priorities on for the reasons that we just talked about. Um, so come contribute and build the OP stack with us. That's awesome. All right, we'll end it there. And guys, thank you for joining us. Thanks for setting up the tent background, uh, <laughs> getting the lighting working. It's uh, very good. The makings of an early studio, I can tell. Bankless Nation <laughs> will include some links, of course, in the show notes, as always. Got to end with this. Risks and disclaimers. Ethereum is risky. So are layer twos. All of crypto is when you think about it. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. I think layer twos are the new frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye, y'all.